You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. And uh, as you turn there, uh, I'm sure you are aware this past week we uh, celebrated Veterans Day. Uh, And so if you're a veteran, if you have served uh, our country uh, in any way, we just want you to know how much we appreciate you uh, and how grateful we are for you. Absolutely. Philippians chapter 3. And now this may come as a shock to you, um, but I have never climbed a mountain. Um, I, uh, I don't really like heights, and I think that cold and snow is a sign of God's judgment on the earth. Um, I'm not a, not a fan of snow uh, at all. Um, I've never climbed a mountain, like I said, but this week I did read a few articles about my mountain climbing. Uh, so according to the internet and social media, I'm an expert, all right? Uh, I read some articles about uh, mountain climbing, and I came across a story that is probably a fable, all right? So it's probably not true, but I thought that it illustrated a good point. It's about a mountain lodge about halfway up one of the French Alps known as Mediocre Inn. And now Mediocre Inn is uh, where climbers headed for the summit of this mountain. They can stop. They can get a, uh, a hot meal, a warm, soft bed. They can relax around a fire, and they can look out of the windows of the lodge and they can appreciate the view. All right, they can see this majestic, this wonderful picture. Now the story goes that many of the climbers, they grow comfortable and satisfied with the views of the mediocre inn and they decide that instead of risking their lives, instead of risking frostbite or blisters or of having to deal with snow and cold and all of that, They've decided that they've accomplished a lot just by making it halfway, and they turn around and they go home. Uh, They're easily satisfied. Now, I would imagine, I I would bet, I I would wager that many of us, most of us, maybe even all of us, we are people who are easily satisfied. Now, maybe we're not easily satisfied by all of the same things, but we can be content to go halfway when going all the way would be difficult. And now some of us were more driven than others, and maybe you might push yourself, uh, depending on what it is. Maybe some of you, hey, I run marathons or something like that, or, or I push myself to do this or do that. But here's the thing. We all have areas where we are content with going halfway. And one of those areas that I believe that we are all guilty of being content with being mediocre is in our relationship, is in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all, many of us are content uh, to just be mediocre, uh, to just kind of be okay, to to just go halfway uh, when the Lord has called us to go all the way. And so in this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, Paul challenges us. Uh, He challenges our spiritual complacency. Uh, He he challenges uh, our spiritual lives and he challenges us with this truth, that we never stop following Jesus. 
We never stop following Jesus. We never stop pushing. We never stop pressing the way. He'll say in this passage, we never stop straining forward in our walk, in our pursuit of following Jesus. So look with me at Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the verses on the screen here for you this morning. Now, the Spirit says to us this morning, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, this is God's word. You can be seated. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for today. God, we're grateful for the weather, for the sunshine. Uh, God, we are grateful for your grace. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that this morning that we would taste and we would see and we would know that you are good uh, and that your grace is real. So, God, we pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about following Jesus, we think about this truth that we never stop following Jesus, that there are three truths for us to be aware of. There are three truths that Paul points us to in this passage. The first is this, is the time it takes. The time it takes to follow Jesus. Now, following Jesus is not a sprint. Following Jesus is a marathon. It's a decision that we make every day. In other words, it's something that we never stop doing. If we have been called, if we've been saved, if we've been sanctified, if we've been justified, one day we'll be glorified, then what this means is that we never stop following Jesus. Now, Paul makes it clear in this passage that he has not arrived, right? He has not attained perfection. And now he's just written, he says here in this verse, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this. And so the question is, what is this? Well, he's talking about that resurrection power. If you were here last week, we looked at this passage right before, and in verse 11, he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, I I haven't been made perfect. I I haven't attained this resurrection yet, and so I, I keep pressing, I keep straining. That word press on that he uses here, it means a single-minded pursuit. Literally, it means to move rapidly toward an objective. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that I have a single-minded focus, a single-minded pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he wasn't content with where he was in his walk with Jesus. Now, it would have been easy for Paul to look around at all of the believers around him. Right? It would have been easy for him to look at the church of Philippi, this church that he's writing to. It would have been easy for him to look around and to think, man, I am really, really mature. Right? He's an apostle. He, he was saved and commissioned by Jesus Christ to go. 
People want to know, okay, what is God's will? What does the Lord demand of me? What does the Lord demand of my church? They would look to Paul. It would have been easy for Paul to look around and say, look, I've got it figured out. I am good to go, but that's not what he does. See, we can fool ourselves sometimes to think that we are more spiritually mature than what we actually are when we look around and when we spend our time with spiritually immature people. It's one thing to be the most mature in the room, but it's another thing to compare yourself to Jesus. See, Paul's focus wasn't on himself. It it wasn't on others. Paul's focus was on Jesus. And when Paul looked at Jesus, he realized just how far he really had to go. This is what would lead him to say things like, I count myself as the chief of sinners. Paul didn't look around and say, look, I'm really holy. I've really got this figured out. I'm really good at this following Jesus thing. No, when Paul looked at Jesus and then he looked at himself, he had the same response that Isaiah had when he saw God's glory filling the temple. You remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah said, woe is me. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. See, when we encounter God's glory, when we see Jesus Christ for who he really is, then no matter who we are, no matter where we find ourselves, the only right response is, woe is me. It's humility. And that's where Paul comes to here. He knew how far he still had to go. See, our standard for holiness, our standard for perfection, our standard for maturity, it can't be ourselves or anyone else. It must be Jesus. We press on until we get to him. Now, at the end of verse 12 and end of verse 13, we, we see what makes this pursuit possible. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, we can press on, we can press on to lay hold of Jesus, not because we're powerful or great, but because Jesus has already laid hold of us, right? I can hold on to Jesus because Jesus holds on to me. When our daughter was young, she used to, when she would want us to pick her up, she would say, I hold you. I hold you. Well, the only way Nora could hold me is if I was already holding her. See, the only way that we can hold Jesus is if he is already holding us, right? If he has already laid hold of us. We can make resurrection powers ours, our own, only because Jesus has made us his own. And this is a theme that Paul hits several times in this letter, right? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who is at work both to will and to work in you for his good pleasure. He says that God is going to make us complete, that God is going to finish what he has started there in verse 6 of chapter 1. You see, we press on because Jesus is already working in us. Paul wants to be crystal clear that growth and progress in the Christian life happens only and solely because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ at work in us. And so how do we press on like Paul? Well, he gives us the answer here in this passage. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I strain on, I press on for what is in front of me. I press on to what lies ahead. We press on to the goal. And what is the goal? The goal is Jesus. He says in verse 13, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
See, Paul was never content. He, he knew how far he had to go. And what we see here in this passage is that this is a mark of a maturing disciple. A maturing disciple, a mature believer doesn't look at themselves and think, oh, I've got this all figured out. A mature believer doesn't look at themselves and say, look, uh, I, hey, look how far I have come. No, a mature disciple, a mature believer looks at themselves, looks at their lives and doesn't say, look how far I've come. They say, look how far I have to go. Right. right? He says, forgetting what lies behind. And that forgetting what lies behind, part of that is forgetting those past failures, those past sins. But part of it is also forgetting those past successes. Not banking on what I did then is going to make me right with God now. No, we remember what Jesus has done, and that's what ultimately justifies us before Him. But we don't think that my obedience yesterday is good enough for today, right? That my, the, the gospel demands that I'm not obedient only yesterday, but also tomorrow. And so we forget that past failure, that past success, because we realize that compared to Jesus, none of it matters, right? That we've got to lay hold of Him. See, following Jesus takes our entire lives, but here's the thing. We want maturity and we want it now. We want microwave Christianity when God has called us to crockpot discipleship, right? See, oftentimes we approach our relationship with Jesus like fast food. We approach our relationship with Jesus maybe the way that you approach Krispy Kreme. We want it hot, ready, and now, right? We want it immediately. We don't have time for Jesus to do his slow, patient, perfect work in us. We want that fast food cheeseburger Christianity when Jesus is offering us slow-cooked prime rib discipleship. So here's the thing. Fast food Christianity might satisfy in the moment, but it's a cheap knockoff for what we really need. See, there's a reason that God hasn't decided that when we believe, we would immediately be sanctified. See, God in His wisdom and in His grace has determined that He would perfect His people through a process. That He would make us like Jesus as we live our lives. See, the truth is, is that we need Jesus every day and that this, this whole discipleship thing, it begins and it ends with Jesus. God in His wisdom has decided that, that what's best for you, what's best for me, isn't that, that immediate perfection, but that we would get more of Jesus, we would get more of His grace, that we would see Him better as we walk through this life and as he lays hold of us and he brings us through. Now, I would love it if, if we had that fast food, right? That, that microwave Christianity where, where we just press the button, we say the word and suddenly no more sin. No more struggle, no more temptation. But God in his wisdom has decided that that's not what's best for you and for I. That God in His wisdom has decided that what's best for you and for I and what's going to bring Him the maximum amount of glory is that He leave us here. He leave us in this position and grow us and stretch us and conform us into the image of Jesus. And I don't know why He's decided that, but here's what I know is that if God has decided to work that way, then it is good and it is right and it is what you and I need. 
See, we never stop following Jesus. We, we see first the time that it takes to follow Jesus. Next, we see this, the example that we follow. See, we don't follow Jesus alone. God has given the church to us. He's given us others to follow Jesus with and to look to as we follow Jesus together. We never stop following Jesus and others help us see how to do it. Following Jesus takes a lifetime. We never arrive. It takes time. But look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he tells the Philippians to imitate him and to keep looking to those who have gone before and are still following Jesus. And see, Paul knew better than most that following Jesus was never meant to be easy. Jesus never makes a promise in the Gospels. He never says, look, come and follow me and the world will love you and it'll all be roses. No, he says, if they hated me, they'll hate you, but I am worth it. I came to give you life abundant and that doesn't mean an easy life, but it means a full life. Remember, Paul's writing from a prison cell. He's in chains, but he knows that Jesus is worth it. Now, there are times in life when following Jesus feels impossible. Maybe it feels too hard or too difficult. And when we look to others who have gone before, we we're reminded that it isn't easy, but it's possible and it's worth it. Now, what makes it possible? It's God's grace. See, Paul's not telling us to look to others' examples because they are so great and they are so powerful. No, he's telling us to look to others' examples because we can see God's grace at work in them. And if God has worked in them, then God will work in us as well. Amen. And God will be gracious to us. He, he will satisfy us. He will sustain us. And he points us to the example of others for the times when life is not easy, or when it's hard. So maybe how do you follow Jesus in the midst of sickness? in the midst of disease, in the midst of a diagnosis? How do you follow Jesus after the death of a loved one? How do you follow Jesus after the death of a parent or after the death of a child? Well, see, that's when examples become powerful. That's when examples become so valuable. We look at those examples not to see that they are strong, but that God was strong in sustaining them. One of my favorite hymns to sing is the hymn, It Is Well. Maybe you know that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Well, I wonder if you know the story behind that song. It's a fairly well-known story at this point. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford in 1873. Now, Horatio Spafford was a successful and a powerful lawyer and real estate tycoon in Chicago. His life was good up until 1871. Uh, in 1871, Horatio has a wife, Anne. He's got four daughters, and he has one son, Horatio Jr. In 1871, Horatio Jr., at uh, four years old, would die of scarlet fever. Uh, a couple months later, the Spaffords would lose almost all of their business and livelihood due to the Great Chicago Fire. On the rest of 1871 and 1872, uh, Horatio works hard to rebuild his business, to rebuild his life. And in 1873... He decides that he's going to send uh, his family, he's going to take his family to Europe for two reasons. One, uh, to find rest, uh, but then two, uh, he was good friends with a man named D.L. Moody, uh, who was a well-known evangelist. And uh, he wanted to go and he wanted to support uh, Dwight Moody uh, in his crusades in Europe. 
And so in 1873, they're about to set sail. And the day before they're going to leave to go to Europe, a business emergency comes up. And Spafford decides that rather than making the whole family wait, he's going to send his wife and four daughters on ahead of him. And he's going to stay behind. And he's going to take care of this issue. And then he's going to accompany them in a few days. Well, four days into their voyage across the Atlantic, uh, the boat that Anne Spafford and her four daughters were on uh, hit a Scottish iron ship, uh, and within a matter of hours, it sank. There were few survivors, but one of the survivors was Anne Spafford. Her four daughters died in the shipwreck. She's picked up by sailors passing, makes it to London, sends a telegram back to Horatio with six words, saved alone, what shall I do? So Spafford getting the news, he gets on the boat, making his way to London, and he's called to the captain's quarters. And the captain says, we've, we've done some pretty careful calculations, and we believe that right through here, we're passing over where your daughter's perished, where their ship sank. And Spafford went back to his room and he grabbed his journal and the only words that he could write was, it is well, it is well, it is well. See, that's the kind of example we need. God forbid that any of us have to suffer the way Horatio Spafford did. But when we look at him, we see that, look, that wasn't because he is so strong and he is so powerful. The only way to make it through that is through God's grace, right? that God has sustained him. And so when we look at the examples that Paul's calling us to look at here, we don't look at them and we don't think, man, they are so great. They are so wonderful. They are so powerful. We look at them and we see, I don't know how they're making it through, but what I do know is that God is great. God is powerful. God is wonderful. And God is gracious, right? God has sustained them. Now, unfortunately, this isn't the story of everyone. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears will walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So these are people who at one time had confessed Jesus is Lord, but through whatever series of events, whatever circumstances, they now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're no longer believers. Look at verse 19. He says their end is destruction. That word destruction, literally, it's annihilation. That ultimately their end, where they're going, their goal is not Jesus, but their goal is punishment. He says their God is their belly. In other words, their God, they are controlled by their sins and their desires and their appetites. And they glory in their shame the things they should be ashamed of, the things that they will be judged because of one day, they glory in and they celebrate. Their minds are set on earthly things. Now, if there's one verse that might sum up where we find ourselves today, it may be that verse. We live in a culture where people's God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. And the Lord Jesus Christ offers us something so much better. He offers us real satisfaction. 
See, we need the example of others, especially in a day like ours, so that we can see how do you live a life worthy of the gospel the way Paul talks about in Philippians 1? How do you live a life worthy of the gospel in a day and an age like ours? See, I think we can all admit that there, there are things maybe that we encounter that we might call them gray areas, right? That they're just difficult for us to navigate. But God in His grace has given us examples to follow who have navigated the gray areas well. Right? who have navigated life in a fallen world well. And so we need those examples. So we never stop following Jesus. In this passage, we see the time it takes and the example we follow. And then finally, we see this, the Savior we need. Now, Paul doesn't end this section by just focusing on himself or on anyone else. He doesn't end the section by focusing on the examples that we are to look to. No, he ends the section by focusing on Jesus. If we're to never stop following Jesus, then our focus must be on Jesus. See, he's already said that those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, they set their minds on earthly things. Look at verse 20. He says, but... Now, word but, it's a word of opposition, right? It's a word of alternative. It's a word of change. He says, they walk, their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship, believers' citizenship, disciples of Jesus' citizenship is in heaven. For disciples, for disciples of Jesus, for Christians, our focus must be on heavenly things. It must be on heaven. See, our identity is first with Christ. We are first citizens of heaven before we are citizens of anywhere else. This is good news for us because what this means is that where America stands doesn't matter ultimately in eternity because my citizenship first and foremost isn't America. My citizenship first and foremost is in heaven. Right? My identity is not first and foremost as the things of this world. My identity is first and foremost with King Jesus. Right? That's, that's who has saved me. That's who has died for me. That's who has called me. My identity, my hope, my glory is with Jesus Christ. Amen. And so the question we've got to answer is where's your mind set today? What are you focused on? Are you focused on earthly things or are you focused on heavenly things? Maybe you've heard that statement before. Don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. Well, Paul would disagree. <laughs> Paul says that if you want to be any earthly good at all, you must be increasingly heavenly minded. Why do we need to be increasingly heavenly minded? Because we're waiting for a savior who comes from heaven. We're waiting for Jesus who will transform us from broken and scarred by sin to being like him. This means, look at verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that's a body marked and scarred by sin and by pain, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make us like him. Now think about what this means for just a minute. No more aches, no more pains, Maybe you woke up this morning, the weather was a little cold, a little harder to get out of bed. No more sickness. No more disease. There's coming a day when COVID-19 isn't even a memory. No more sin. No more death. No more medications. Only glory. 
only good news. See, Jesus is coming to make this dream a reality, and he's doing it by the power that only belongs to him as the Son of God. Paul ends this passage by saying, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, that that language about subjecting all things to himself, that's messianic language. Paul's pulling back to the Old Testament, and he's he's thinking about verses like Psalm 8-6 or Psalm 110-1, where the psalmist writes about Jesus subjecting all things to himself. Psalm 110-1 says, the Lord said to my Lord that one day he's going to make his enemies his footstool. See, only Jesus can do these things because only he is the son of God. And so Paul here, he's saying, look, focus on Jesus. Don't focus on all of these other things because Jesus is the only one who can get you to glory. Jesus is the only one who can make you like him. Jesus is the only one who has an answer for sin. See, this is how we find success in the Christian life. Success in the Christian life is about keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. It's about remaining faithful to him. It's about following him closely. I grew up uh, in the middle of nowhere. In fact, we had to drive 15 minutes to town to get to the middle of nowhere, right? I I lived uh, in the woods. And so I spent a lot of time following my dad, walking to fishing holes that only we could get to and that you had to know exactly what tree to turn by to get to. I spent a lot of time following my grandpa through the woods when we were walking from one place to hunt to another place to hunt. And one of the things that I would do is I would try to follow them closely and I would try to put my foot where their foot had been. There were a couple reasons for this. I knew that if they had stepped there, hopefully there wasn't a snake there. Right? But, but I also knew that if they had stepped there, then it was safe. And so I would keep my eyes focused on them in front of me, and I would try to step where they had stepped. I would try to go where they had go. But every once in a while, I would get distracted. Every once in a while, I would stop to look at a tree, or I would, I would see this over here on the ground, or I would start to daydream. And it didn't take long before I would look up and suddenly... I I can't see anyone. Suddenly I'm lost. Suddenly I'm scared. Suddenly I feel alone. And I feel alone, not because my dad had abandoned me, but because I had taken my eyes off of him and I couldn't find him anymore. I I didn't know where he was. And as I thought about that, and I thought about this passage today, I thought about what a picture of the Christian life that is. That, That we follow Jesus trying to put our feet where his feet have been, trying to keep our eyes focused on him. But then from time to time, we get distracted, don't we? From time to time, we look over here or we look over there. From time to time, we begin focusing on things that don't matter, on things that will really only lead us to get lost, maybe even things that, that when we're done with it might even make us feel like we've been abandoned. And it's not because God has abandoned us, but really it's because we have abandoned him. It's because we've taken our gaze, we've taken our eyes, we've taken our focus off of him. And so the question we've got to wrestle with this morning is, what is that thing? What are those things that are causing you to take your eyes off of Jesus? See, we know that we're We never stop following Jesus, but the reality is is that some of us stop following Jesus and stop following all of these other things. And so what is it that causes you, that causes me, that causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus 
and to focus on these lesser things. What, what sin is it that, that you think that sin is more valuable or more pleasurable than Jesus? What worry or what anxiety is it that you hold on to and that you focus so long on that anxiety that you end up losing your view of Jesus? See, we're all prone to this. None of us are exempt from this. None of us are immune to this. We're all prone to taking our eyes off of Jesus. And so let's ask this morning, where is your focus? Is it on the things of the world? Or is it on Jesus? It's easy to get distracted by problems and by situations and by circumstances and to forget that Jesus is still king. Jesus is still marching on. Jesus is still leading us. It's easy to get distracted and it happens far more than we care to admit. And so how do we keep our focus? We keep our focus by reminding ourselves every day of the Savior that we need. We keep our focus by reminding ourselves every day that God in His grace has given us the church and in His church we have examples that we can follow on how do you navigate following Jesus in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, the way Paul says. We keep our focus on Jesus by remembering that following Jesus is not a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? It's not something that we do quickly and then we move on from. No, it's something that takes our entire lives. It takes all of us. And so we've got to remember that we never stop following Jesus. And so we keep our focus on Jesus by reminding ourselves every day that we are loved and we are known by the God of the universe who has died in our place. And now he lives in us, he's at work in us to help keep us focused, to remove the distractions of our life. And so when we're tempted to be distracted by that anxiety or by that worry or by that want or by that circumstance or by that sin, we can take it and we can give it fully and totally and only to Jesus Christ because Jesus knows exactly what to do with it when you and I don't. Jesus knows exactly how to handle that sin. He knows exactly how to handle that worry. He knows exactly how to handle that circumstance. He knows exactly how to handle that anxiety. And here's the thing. We said this last week. It's still true this week. Jesus is a better savior than you. And so we can give all of this over to the one who really can save. See, the way we keep our focus on Jesus is we live a life with a rhythm of repent and believe. We keep beating that drum of repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. That's the rhythm of the Christian life. Now, maybe this morning, it's not that you need to keep following Jesus, but maybe this morning, it's that you need to start following Jesus. Maybe this morning, you need to believe, you need to trust that Jesus is a better Savior than you'll ever be. You need to trust that, that you can never be good enough, but Jesus has been perfect in your place and he has died to take the penalty that your sin deserves. Maybe this morning you need to believe for the first time that Jesus loves you and he's made a way for you to be loved by him. Maybe this morning you need to believe for the first time that God really can love someone like you and he has proved it in his death and resurrection by making a way for you to be made right with him. 
And so maybe this morning for you, it's not that you need to keep following Jesus, but maybe this morning you need to start following Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a better day to start following Jesus than today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So don't worry about what you did yesterday. Don't think about how you messed up this week. Instead, focus and be reminded that Jesus is good and Jesus is inviting you to know and to be known by him. And so we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to give you an opportunity uh, to respond to the gospel, to believe. We'll have a number that we'll put up on the screen that you can send a text message, 407 338-4024. You can send that text with your name and you can just put Jesus or you can just put talk or whatever it may be. And there's someone ready to talk with you about how do you follow Jesus. Maybe you need someone to pray with you uh, about keeping your focus on Jesus. Maybe you need that example to follow. You need someone to come alongside you and to disciple you and to show you how to follow Jesus. Here's the thing. We have an army of people waiting to come alongside you and help you follow Jesus. Jesus. So you can send that text. You can go back to our next step room in our lobby. There are people there ready to talk with you. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand and we are going to sing. So would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for another day. Lord, we're grateful that the gospel is just as true today as it was yesterday, and it'll be just as true tomorrow as it is today. And so, Father, we pray even now that you would do a great and a wonderful and a mighty work. God, that you would work in the hearts and the lives of people here so that they would, we would be reminded that Jesus is a good savior. God, I I pray for believers in this room who, as we're all tempted and as we're all pulled to, to lose our focus on you, God, I pray that we would keep our focus on Jesus. And Father, I pray right now for those in this room or those watching online who maybe they need to give their heart and their life to you right now. God, I pray they would do that. God, I pray that you would work, that you would soften their hearts so that they would lay their life down at your feet and they would trust in Jesus. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We, we don't do this often, but maybe, maybe you would say, hey, Ethan, I need to follow Jesus and I just need you to pray with me, uh, to pray for me. Maybe that's you. If that's you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Aaron, can you give us just some house lights? If that's you, would you just look at me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm I'm not going to point at you. I just want to be able to pray with you. If that's you, if you'd say, Ethan, I need to lay my life down. I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time today. Would you look at me? But here's the the good news, right? There's several people who have looked up here who have said, hey, Ethan, I want to trust Jesus. Hey, here's what you need to know today. That looking at me doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And so if you say, hey, Ethan, I need to give my life to Jesus. Well, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I would encourage you to, to just 
pray a simple prayer to just lay your life at you. You can just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And I want you to save me. And thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Here's what you need to know, guys. Saying a prayer, it's not a magic formula. Right? The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But the prayer just acknowledges what Jesus is already doing in your heart and in your life and what he's already done. And so I'm going to finish praying and we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate that there are people in here today who have given their life to Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, if you're one who say, hey, Ethan, I need, I need to trust Jesus. Here's, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. All right? I'm going to be right over here uh, at the end of this service. I want you to come find me. If you don't come find me, that's fine. Pastor Josh will be around. Maybe you've got people around you and grab someone and let them know because we want to celebrate with you. And here's the thing. We want to help you follow Jesus. We want to help you keep following Jesus. And the way you start following Jesus is by trusting him, by obeying him, getting baptized and then being disciple. And that's what we're here for. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Lord, thank you so much that you saved sinners, that you saved a sinner like me. God, I pray uh, that those this morning who have said, hey, Ethan, I need to trust Jesus for the first time. God, I pray uh, that you would encourage their hearts. God, I pray uh, that that you would use us as a church to come around them uh, and to let them know not only that they are loved, but that we are here to help them keep following you. And Father, I pray for those who who maybe they would say, hey, I need to trust Jesus even now. God, I pray that they would do it. And God, I pray that you'd help all of us to keep our focus on you. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.